Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to the New Books in Israel Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat, here with my guest, Ori Yehudai. We will be discussing his new book, Leaving Zion, Jewish Emigration from Palestine and Israel After World War II. Ori, it's an honor to be with you today. It's a pleasure to be here and my an honor to be here as well. Thank you. And uh, I should mention that Ori and I were old friends at University of Chicago together uh, when we knew each other between 2006 and 2008. So we do have a personal connection in addition to the intellectual connection surrounding this book. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you again and uh, thank you for hosting me. My pleasure. Um, so to begin, uh, please tell us about yourself. Um, so I, I, I grew up in Israel. Uh, in a place called uh, Kibbutz Shamir, mm. um, for uh, it's in the north of Israel. For viewers who don't know, maybe I should explain that uh, Kibbutz or Kibbutzim were um, agricultural uh, communes um, in rural areas in in Israel that were, were based on socialist ideas and were uh, created by uh, Zionist uh, immigrants uh, in mostly in the first half of, of the twentieth. Uh, century today. They, today they changed uh, their way, way of life, but uh, this is basically where I grew up. Um, uh, I did my uh, BA in history in Tel Aviv University, and then I uh, got my PhD um, at the University of Chicago. Wonderful. And since then, I, I had some temporary, uh, temporary academic positions uh, in various places in New York, in Montreal, in Toronto, and today um, I'm an assistant professor of history. Uh, and the Saul and Schottenstein Chair of Israel Studies at the Ohio State University. And I live in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for providing all of that. How did you become interested in the topic of Israeli emigration from Israel? Where did your inspiration for this book come from? So I should say that uh, this book uh, uh, came out of a uh, uh, doctoral dissertation, a PhD dissertation that I wrote uh, in Chicago. Um, and even before starting the dissertation research, research in Chicago, I wrote a graduate paper uh, on the history of, uh, of a Zionist youth movement uh, in Palestine. And I read, uh, at one time I read letters that the leader of the movement had sent to his friends in Poland. He sent the letters from Palestine to Poland uh, and it described uh, an economic crisis in Palestine. It was during the 1920s. And he said, he wrote in those letters that many, many Jews were leaving the country uh, due to the crisis. And this sounded interesting to me because I didn't remember uh, having read a lot of uh, work on Jewish emigration, out-migration from Palestine. Most of the, uh, most of the, uh, of the um, studies uh, are on immigration into the country. Uh, so I thought this was this could be an interesting topic for a dissertation, and I started exploring it. Um, uh, I realized it's, that there were some works that had been written on immigration, but mostly on uh, the periods before the creation of the state of Israel, before 1948. Uh, and I was interested uh, in the period after the Holocaust, after the Second World War, uh, this period of the transition from the uh, from the end of the Second World War and the Holocaust to the creation of Israel. Uh, the reconstruction of the Jewish world uh, after the Holocaust, the early years of Israeli history, 
of Israeli, Israeli independence. Uh, and I thought that looking at immigration uh, perhaps will help, will help to shed a new light on that period, on this very dramatic period of, of the transition from, uh, from a genocide, from a Nazi genocide to Israeli uh, independence. So I decided to focus on this uh, period uh, of immigration from uh, 1945 until the late 1950s. Uh, maybe another reason uh, could be more personal. I'm, um, my, I'm myself uh, an immigrant uh, from Israel, so this could be sort of a, a personal uh, motivation that I had uh, in pursuing this topic. Wow. Uh, do, you, do you see any parallels between your own personal story of emigration and the, the research that went into this book? Well, there are always parallels in stories of, of immigration. Uh, you know, people have to uh, relocate from one place to another to adopt to a new culture. Um, the attitude uh, towards the uh, or feelings or attitudes towards the the home country sometimes are similar, but there are also major differences. I mean, my as we will see later, I hope my study looks at uh, migrants who were uh, displaced people, uh, mostly refugees, survivors of the Holocaust, um, uh, people who had been. Um, displaced uh, from uh, countries in the Middle East and came to Israel, um, and their stories were very, you know, difficult experiences of uh, economic harsh economic conditions, uh, political pressures uh, that were involved in their migration stories. So I think uh, my, my story is quite uh, quite different. Even though some of the people who uh, emigrated in the period that I, period that I that I cover in my book also had uh, maybe you know similar stories to my story. Uh, academic immigrants, people who uh, went to the United States from Israel to other countries um, um, uh, for, uh, to, get, um, for, to get educational and economic, uh, to obtain educational and economic opportunities uh, and, and similar considerations. Fascinating. Um, to open up some questions pertaining to the book, um, what were the primary causes and reasons stimulating Israeli emigration in the early years of the state. So we started talking a little bit about that. Um, um, it's interesting that um, I show, I think, in my book that the it was mostly personal and material reasons, mostly personal, economic, material uh, considerations, uh, like uh, climate conditions. Uh, people felt that the uh, the weather was was too hot for them uh, in Israel. Um, people also were also concerned with health with health problems that could not be resolved uh, in uh, in Israel, um, and also economic economic reasons, as I mentioned, so difficulties uh, in uh, in uh, finding employment and housing uh, in Israel. Um, also difficulties in learning Hebrew and adopting to the new uh, to to Israeli. Uh, culture and Israeli society. Uh, another important reason was the uh, desire to reunite with family members who uh, are living uh, uh, abroad. Um, the focus on personal material reasons is interesting because there, is, there was a tension or a discrepancy between the discourse on immigration, the public discourse on immigration, which, which was very ideological, as I think, as I hope we will discuss later, and the uh, personal reasons of immigrants. Immigration from a national collective perspective was seen as a threat 
to the uh, success of the Zionist uh, project uh, in Palestine uh, was seen as a danger, uh, uh, seemed to pose a danger to the uh, national endeavor of the, of the Jews uh, in Palestine. Um, so immigrants were criticized on ideological basis. They were criticized for abandoning uh, the state in its in, in its difficult uh, years, for uh, for uh, aspiring to improve their own individual lives instead of um, co co contributing to the collective effort. Um, um, so the the criticism was very uh, ideological, as opposed to the experiences or the motivations of migrants, which were more personal uh, and uh, economic. Um, now, maybe I should, I, should, I should also mention that we talk about the, uh, the difficulties, the economic difficulties or the uh, reasons that pushed people to, to leave Israel. We should also, uh, uh, we should also consider the, uh, the conditions prevailing in the country at the time. Uh, uh, as I'm sure many of, of our viewers know, after 1948, when Israel was created, Israel was created as an independent state in May 1948, uh, there began a massive immigration of Jews into the country. Um, so uh, the, during its three years of first, first three, three years of independence, being 1948 and 1953, the Jewish population of the country was almost, well, actually more than doubled by the arrival of new Jewish immigrants uh, who came from Europe, uh, mostly from Europe and from the uh, Middle East. Um, but the country was, Israel was a poor country as a young, as a young, as a young state. It was, uh, it was a poor country. It did not have the, uh, the, uh, did not have sufficient resources to absorb all those migrants who were themselves also mostly uh, poor people. So, um, and this also had, of course, had, had an impact on the experience of immigrants in the country uh, and the ability or the inability of the state to properly absorb uh, those immigrants to create the economic conditions uh, that would uh, make this uh, migration experience uh, 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 more uh, normal, more uh, um, uh, um, that to create the, the, the appropriate conditions to, to absorb all those, all those immigrants, the absence of those, of those conditions, all those resources, um, resulted in the uh, difficulties, the economic difficulties that pushed uh, many people uh, to leave the country. So, it's, so we, have to, we have to remember that the, the, the objective conditions uh, prevailing in Israel uh, at the time. You, you write the following, in the interest of clarity and consistency and in order not to impose ideological concepts on the historical actors, I decided not to use Yerida or Yordim, but rather emigration emigrants, as well as immigration immigrants, remigration remigrants, and migration migrants, depending on the context. Page 34 and 35. You also state that despite the negative connotation of the terms Yerida and Yordim, they also fulfilled a practical function as Hebrew does not have a handy equivalent for immigration or emigration, except for the ideologically charged words, Aliyah and Yerida. Why do you prefer the term emigrants to the term Yordim? What's the difference in meaning between the two terms? Yeah, so this, is, this question is also connected to the uh, ideological discourse on immigration that I uh, explained uh, earlier. Uh, it's important to, to understand uh, that immigration had a very important role in Zionist history. Uh, it, has an it had an important practical role. Uh, we know that Zionism was established in Europe and that most of the Jews um, 
who were potential supporters of, of or followers of the movement uh, were living in Europe. So in order to uh, fulfill the the uh, um, uh, in order to in order to establish or to accomplish the goals of the movement, uh, it was uh, necessary to move all those people to Palestine and later to Israel. So immigration um, was a necessary condition. Immigration resettling in the in the state of Israel, in the land of Israel was an important condition for the success of the uh, Zionist uh, movement. Immigration is a very central central role in, in Zionist uh, ideology. Um, on a more ideological level, immigration was considered also not just a movement of people from one, one place from one place to another. It was also it also involved uh, a transformation, individual transformation. There was an expectation that uh, Jews moving from the diaspora to the land of Israel, Israel would recreate themselves, uh, become what was called new Jews, new Jewish men and women uh, who would leave behind them the uh, old uh, features, what was perceived as the negative features of diaspora Jews in Zionist uh, in Zionist ideology. Um, Jews in diaspora were considered were considered in Zionist uh, thinking as weak and passive people uh, who did not react properly to uh, uh, to attacks by non-Jews. They were not were not uh, independent enough. Were not uh, uh, connected to their land, and all of the all of this was supposed to change with immigration to Israel. Uh, they were supposed to recreate themselves as proud and strong Jews connected to their land of their ancestors. Uh, so this was the more I would say social, cultural, ideological aspect of immigration. Because of the political, practical importance of immigration, and because of the uh, ideological and practical importance of immigration, um, it was uh, a very central idea in, in Zionist history. And the term that was used to describe the immigration of Jews to Israel was the Hebrew word Aliyah, which means going up. Um, um, those who immigrated were called Olim, those who go up. And the movement in the opposite direction was called Yerida, going down. And those who emigrated, emigrants were called Yodim, those who go down. So we see that, that, that those terms carry a certain ideological meaning, right? Going up is a positive movement, going down is, ne is a negative movement. Mm -hmm. um, and in my, in my book, I decided not to use those terms uh, because I didn't want to impose those ideological concepts uh, of the uh, of the immigrants. I didn't want to to call immigrants Yodim or to, to call uh, immigration Yerida in order not to, not to uh, to convey uh, the sense that I that I see this phenomenon as a negative phenomenon. Um, and also because the immigrants, the migrants themselves, do not call themselves uh, Yodim, uh, do not describe their uh, movement as Yerida. So um, I wanted to tell the story also from a perspective. Of the migrants, uh, and not to impose on them those uh, external uh, uh, concepts. Uh, so we have, um, uh, in English, we have those terms: migration, emigration, and immigration, which are uh, more uh, neutral uh, than the uh, uh, ideologically charged uh, uh, terms uh, aliyah and yerida. That's fascinating. Thank you. What kinds of impediments did the Israeli government implement to block immigrants from leaving? To Europe and the U.S. Yeah. So, well, in order to, to answer this question, we have to uh, take a step back and look at the uh, at the troubles that immigration uh, uh, caused. Sure. Uh, I talked I talked about the uh, personal experiences of migrants a little bit, but immigration also had uh, um, a more a broader uh, broader impact, broader significance. 
especially um, story of a few thousand, uh, the experiences of a few thousand uh, immigrants who had uh, an especially difficult uh, migration experience. People who, many people who wanted to go to the United States or to Canada especially, uh, but they could not, because of various technical and bureaucratic reasons, they could not go to those country, countries, countries directly from Israel and they had to go to Europe to use Europe as a sort, sort of a stepping stone to their desired destinations. They, they had to apply for uh, immigration assistance or immigration visas uh, from various European countries. But they, when they got to Europe, many of them got, got stuck there. They could not continue their immigration plans um, and they ran out of money, ran out of resources. They had no legal status. Their, their, their visas expired when they got to uh, various European countries. And then they uh, became dependent on assistance from Jewish organizations, uh, Jewish communities, and also from non-Jewish uh, welfare organizations. Um, and many of those values, many of those, especially those Jewish organizations, were reluctant to assist those migrants, even refused to assist them, because they were busy with the reconstruction of Jewish communities in Europe after the Holocaust. They did not have enough resources uh, to assist the, those uh, coming, uh, those coming uh, from Israel, and this created conflicts, tensions, and conflicts between between the migrants and those uh, and those Jewish organizations. Um, um, European European uh, European governments also imposed restrictions on the movement of uh, of people from Israel, of movement of Israeli passport holders, because of all those troubles that uh, that. Uh, uh, that immigration from from Israel uh, uh, caused. So, because of all those because of the, those conflicts and tensions and restrictions, it, it became clear that immigration became an embarrassment, a huge embarrassment uh, for for Israel, uh, which was of course considered as uh, the main destination for uh, the resettlement of of Jewish uh, of Jewish refugees. And as a result of uh, of uh, of pressures from uh, from Jewish organizations and from European uh, governments. The Israeli government decided to take action uh, um, and and respond and and uh, and uh, put an end to all those uh, all those complications. So this is the general background for the uh, restrictions and impediments that the Israeli government uh, uh, um, um, imposed on immigrant on immigrants. Um, the uh, restrictions uh, themselves uh, were mainly mainly included uh, limitations on the distribution. Of, uh, of passports. The Israeli government decided that passports would be given only to people who could prove that they were that they would be able to reach their destinations uh, and that they would be able to sustain themselves after leaving Israel and settling in other countries. So they would avoid all those troubles that had, that had happened uh, to uh, previous uh, migrants. Um, there was also a decision to limit to, uh, to uh, place special limitations on the distribution of passports uh, for people who had been in Israel less than five years, because there were various reports that showed that most the people who had uh, lived in Israel uh, uh, shorter periods were more likely to, uh, to emigrate. Um, another restriction was the demand that immigrants, new immigrants in Israel who wanted to leave the country, should pay, should repay uh, the, the state all the costs involved in bringing them into Israel and even the cost involved in maintaining them in, in uh, transit or immigrant camps uh, in uh, in Israel. So this was uh, um, a, a burden that many uh, people uh, 
could not uh, withstand, could not repay uh, the costs. And in addition to those uh, bureaucratic or administrative uh, 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 restrictions, there's also another interesting, uh, interesting step that the Israeli government, government took. The, it was a very extensive propaganda campaign against, against immigration in the, in the press. Um, the publication, uh, public, publication of many articles, uh, negative articles about immigration, uh, showing the, uh, the distress, the plight, the difficulties that people who had left Israel encountered in their countries of, of destination. Uh, those articles also depicted uh, migrants as uh, immoral people uh, who failed in their, in their uh, uh, attempts to settle outside of Israel in order to, to discourage more, more immigration of Israelis. Um, so the combination of, of those, of those uh, uh, restrictions, the more bureaucratic restrictions and the, uh, and the propaganda campaign, um, actually, were actually quite successful. They had, had an impact. Um, they they succeeded in not in not in preventing immigration, but at least succeeded succeeded in um, in solving the problems that existed in uh, in Europe uh, with Israeli migrants. Immigration after those restrictions, uh, as a result of anti the anti-immigration policy of the state of Israel, became more no, more normal immigration uh, of people just. Moving from um, one from Israel to uh, to uh, new destinations without encountering all those troubles uh, along the way. What forms of discrimination did Jewish emigrants from Israel face in trying to enter Canada, Australia, and the United States? Hmm. So um, this was connected to the uh, story of those migrants who got stuck, got stranded uh, in Europe. Uh, I call them re-migrants uh, in the book, those people who went to, from Israel to Europe in the hope of receiving help from uh, immigration organizations, welfare agencies, uh, help in uh, resettling in uh, a new destination. Um, there was quite, quite an extensive uh, immigration and welfare activity uh, in, in countries in Europe at the time, mostly in Germany, but also in, but also in countries like uh, Austria and Italy and other countries. Uh, and immigrants from Israel hoped uh, to be included in this activity, to be, uh, to be, uh, I would say, to be taken under the wings of those welfare organizations, and that would help them emigrate uh, to destinations overseas, mainly the U.S. Uh, and and Canada, also, but also Australia, Australia, uh, and other uh, uh, countries. So those countries, those, those immigration countries, had various migration schemes uh, that helped, that were supposed to help people uh, move from Europe. Uh, uh, to those new destinations, but the Israeli migrants uh, encountered specific problems because of the fact that they had already settled in Israel. As, as I said earlier, most of them had come to Israel from Europe, mostly, but also from the Middle East, and then they wanted to re-migrate, to emigrate, uh, to emigrate uh, again, but they found that they could not be included. They were in, in, ineligible uh, for inclusion in uh, um, those migration schemes of, uh, of immigration countries um, because of the fact that they had already uh, received help in coming uh, into uh, Israel. So usually they were not, they were ineligible for a second resettlement uh, attempt uh, in, uh, in, in another uh, country. Usually they received public uh, help or help from, uh, through public funds in settling in Israel, 
Um, so uh, the argument was that they had already been assisted in going to Israel, which was, of course, as I said, was considered as, considered as the main destination for the rehabilitation of Jewish refugees, the main destination uh, uh, for immigration of Jewish refugees after the war. So it seemed unacceptable that people who had already settled in Israel would again receive help from uh, from uh, uh, Jewish and non-Jewish organizations in moving to another uh, moving to another uh, uh, country. Now it's also important to know that um, that, that those countries uh, again we're talking about the U.S., Canada, Australia, and also other countries uh, were generally reluctant uh, to admit refugees after. After the Second World War, especially Jewish refugees, there were still uh, there were still restrictions or still still uh, um, reluctance to to take in Jewish refugees after after uh, uh, the war. So the chances of people who had already of Jews who had already been in Israel, the, their chances to be admitted into a new country uh, uh, were especially uh, especially slim because of the post-war conditions. Understood. How did the phenomenon of Israeli remigrants hurt Israel's reputation in the West? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's connected to the, the, um, the experiences, the realities that, that I described uh, uh, earlier, um, all those hardships that uh, immigrants had encountered in, uh, after uh, leaving Israel. Um, it's important to remember that, that Israel aspired to establish herself as a safe heaven for Jews, right? We're talking about, uh, it was just several years after the Holocaust, uh, after uh, a, lot, a large number of Jews had also been displaced from countries, Muslim countries in the Middle East uh, and in North Africa. So Israel was, of, Israel of course, took in uh, a very large number of, of immigrants from those places, despite the difficulties that I uh, mentioned earlier um, in Israel. Indeed, was considered as a safe haven, haven for uh, uh, for Jews. Israel also established established herself as the main center uh, of Jewish life after the Second World War, as a result of the uh, murder of almost six million Jews in Europe dur during the Second World War. The United States and Israel became uh, the largest uh, um, population centers, uh, largest Jewish population centers in the world. And Israel was, of course, of course, a Jewish state, so it was considered as the uh, as the main center of uh, Jewish life. Israel also aspired to establish herself as a free democracy. Um, so the fact that there was such a significant immigration uh, uh, from Israel, especially after, uh, especially after, uh, after uh, the Holocaust, seemed to threaten the reputation of Israel as, uh, as a safe haven, as a refuge uh, uh, for, uh, for Jewish uh, for Jewish. Uh, people. Now, there are also other, other reasons. Um, many of the people, so some of the people who left Israel applied for refugee status in other countries. They mm -hmm. knew that uh, gaining a refugee status would help them to receive uh, certain benefits, uh, um, material support and assistance in emigrating to other uh, countries. So the fact that people who had been Jews, who had been already living in Israel, were now trying to become refugees, applying to, for refugee status in other countries, uh, tarnished the, the reputation of Israel, not only as a Jewish state, but also as free, as a free, uh, uh, as a free uh, democracy. Um, another, another reason uh, for the, uh, for, for the, uh, for the fact that immigration hurt uh, Israel's reputation 
was that in some cases it, it, cases it was illegal uh, immigration because of all the restrictions that was that were imposed on immigrants some of them had to resort to illegal immigration which of course complicated their their, their status uh, and made life even harder more even harder for them once they reached other uh, new destinations so the combination of all those troubles created an impression of, of chaos in Israel, uh, uh, created an impression that Israel uh, was uh, unable to control, uh, to, uh, to exert control over, uh, over uh, its uh, uh, borders. Um, and this has also contributed to the um, negative image of Israel following or as a result of, uh, of, an, of uh, immigration from a country. What was the most stress synagogue crisis which took place in Munich and why is it important? The Mostrasse, uh, sorry for my, my pronunciation of the, this German Mostrasse. Uh, name, Mostrasse uh, synagogue uh, in, uh, in Munich. It was a, it is a name of, of a synagogue uh, in Munich. Um, this is, was, this was this nation uh, for a group of, uh, of uh, Israeli uh, immigrants in uh, the mid 1953. Uh, to be more precise, uh, to understand the story of the synagogue of, of the settlement of Jews in, of Jewish immigrants from Israel in the synagogue again we, again we have to take a step back and look at the larger story of immigration uh, from Israel to Germany uh, at the time. Because of the all those difficulties that immigrants encountered in Europe, those who got stuck in Europe, um, they uh, one of the, the solutions that they found was to penetrate into displaced persons camps in Germany, refugee camps in Germany. Uh, those were uh, camps that had been established by the Allies after the Second World War um, for uh, refugees that had no, nowhere to go after the war. Most of those camps had been closed uh, by 1951 as a result of out-migration of refugees who had been settled in other countries. But there was one camp, it was called the Ferenwald camp uh, near Munich, it continued to exist until 1957. Um, it was camp, the camp that uh, inhabited the what was called the hardcore uh, Holocaust survivors or refugees, people who had very difficult uh, uh, problems that prevented them from being admitted to other countries. Some of them uh, maybe did not even want uh, to emigrate from the camp and start a new life. So this camp was closed only in 1957. It continued to exist during the 1950s. And the existence of the camp of this camp also turned it into a sort of a magnet for uh, migrants from Israel who got stuck and had no other solutions. They started gravitating towards the camp from various countries in Europe, uh, also from Germany. They crossed borders uh, from France, from Italy, from other countries, from Austria, and started going into this camp uh, because they knew that they were hoping that the uh, welfare agencies uh, working in that camp, taking care of the existing uh, uh, refugees living in the living in the camp camp would also help, help them uh, uh, making a living uh, or help them sustain themselves and also help them um, uh, move to other countries. The Germans objected, resisted this movement. Uh, uh, this influx into the camp uh, um, ran counter to the efforts of Germans to close the camp and terminate the Jewish refugee problem in Germany after the war. So after various uh, uh, um, discussions, negotiations with Jewish organizations, with the migrants them themselves, they decided to, uh, to block the movement, completely block the movement to 
to Camp Fernwald. So there were people who came to Germany, came to the area, they wanted to go to the camp and they could not enter the camp because now it was blocked with a police station and they started looking for other options and one of the options was to settle in this synagogue uh, in, uh, in Munich. Uh, so there was a group of, of about 200 people um, who settled in this, in this synagogue, who squatted, squatted in the synagogue, uh, including families and small children. They lived in very in terrible sanitary, uh, sanitary uh, uh, conditions. Um, it was also uh, an illegal act. They were illegally uh, illegally settled there. So uh, at some point, the German police raided the synagogue and arrested about uh, sixty uh, about sixty uh, people. So it's it's a very uh, visitors people who visited uh, the synagogue uh, um, uh, were shocked by by the conditions in which Israeli migrants uh, were living. Um, some reports appeared in, the, in, in newspapers, some in, 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 official, uh, in official reports. Um, this, this was a very tragic story, uh, obviously, but I would say that the significance uh, of, of this story um, lies in the fact that it shows how far people were willing to go uh, to be out of Israel. They were willing to live in those in these terrible conditions in this, uh, in this synagogue uh, because it, it seemed like a, a chance uh, uh, to... Uh, emigrate uh, from, uh, from Israel to start new lives in, in another uh, country. The synagogue incidents, incident also uh, revealed the tensions in the Jewish community surrounding immigration uh, from Israel. Uh, there were official bodies uh, of the German Jewish community that refused to assist those migrants because of uh, the previous uh, agreements with the German government that prevented uh, Jewish, uh, the Jewish community to assist immigrants from Israel. Who came after a certain certain uh, a certain date, um, so they were not allowed to uh, to uh, assist those people, they did not, and they did not want to violate the, the agreement with the Germans. But there were also people in the community that uh, thought that Jewish organizations should help uh, those immigrants. So there were pressure that was put on Jewish organizations on the Jewish community to provide assistance to those immigrants. Um, so, and this, this conflict over the, the, the synagogue migrants revealed a basic conflict surrounding immigration from Israel, conflict between uh, the desire not to, to damage Israel, not to damage the, the inspiration of Israel to establish herself as a destination, as a refuge uh, for, for, uh, for Jews after the war. The, the belief was that assisting immigrants would encourage more immigration and would hurt Israel. And on the other hand, the uh, notion of Jewish solidarity, the notion that Jews should help other Jews in need. And so there was a conflict between those who resisted uh, the idea that uh, the community should help the immigrants in the synagogue and those who believed that uh, helping the, the people who coming out of Israel uh, would, uh, would uh, uh, encourage more immigration. Um, and also I would say that the severity of the problem in, in the synagogue in Munich um, also accelerated the efforts uh, to solve, to find a solution uh, to the crisis uh, in Germany. So it's a, it's an isolated, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a case, it's an experience of a, two, a group, group of 200 people, but we, th we see that it represented a much larger uh, problem uh, of immigration from Israel, or related to immigration from Israel. On this note, um, personally, as someone who is reading this book, um, I was struck by the attitude of Israeli government officials that is quoted in many parts of this book towards the emigrants. 
um, on page 147, you have a quotation from Moshe Charet, where he says as follows, um, just as a doctor or a social worker must not fulfill the stupid wishes of the people under their care, but should put them under the treatment directed at their improvement or salvation. So the state cannot and must not comply with the wandering instinct embedded in the heart of this reckless people, must not comply with their forgetfulness of their own past, but rather should save them and their sons, having no other choice against their will from the curse of eternal gypsiness in which they seek relief from the pangs of absorption in their only home in the world. And then you have uh, Golda Meyerson, Golda Meyer, also quoted on the same page. We um, quote her as follows. Whoever comes, we should help him to integrate, but not to leave. It is not good for him and not good for the state. The state is also entitled to demand something from the Jews. An immigration transit camp is a very bad thing, but it is not a disaster to keep them in the camps. I would go so far as demanding reimbursement for the co costs of bringing them here. Where is it written that a person would go hither and thither and the Jewish people would cover their expenses? This, the attitude towards the emigrants is very striking to me as a reader of this book. How did you feel as a researcher uncovering and rereading such words? Yeah, those are strong, strong words. Uh, yeah, I, I was also surprised by the, uh, I would say, the uh, intensity of, of those uh, expressions. Um, this condescending uh, approach, right? The, 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 the notion that uh, the immigrants, that the state should treat immigrants like a social worker uh, treats uh, a, a client. Um, and all those uh, and comparing immigration uh, uh, to suicide. I'm not sure if this was in the in a quote that you provided, but this was also uh, um, um, something that was mentioned by by Israeli officials that people people are intending on immigrating or like people intending on committing suicide. So uh, the reaction to immigration should be similar to the reaction uh, of trying to prevent a people from uh, a person from uh, from uh, uh, committing uh, uh, suicide. Um, when I try to make se make sense of those sentiments, of those uh, uh, expressions, I think per perhaps it's uh, we can we can relate this to the uh, misgivings and doubts of leaders uh, of a young state um, as to the willingness or in willingness and ability of the masses of the people to conform to the demands of uh, of nation building. Uh, the misgivings as to the ability of those people. Uh, to be uh, to contribute to the national uh, 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 project and also to fulfill the demands of, of that uh, national uh, national project. And um, as I explained earlier, um, one of the one of the demands was that they um, I would say shed uh, their uh, diaspora identity or get rid of their uh, diaspora identity, diaspora mentality. Um, and become rooted uh, Israelis. Um, and one of the um, basic elements that uh, of the of this diaspora alleged diaspora mentality, according to in the Zionist view, uh, this this diaspora mentality uh, included a sort of a inclination to wandering. Uh, it was called also, I think it was mentioned in one of the quotations, wandering instinct. Um, so the demand was that those people would get rid of this tendency to to move around. Uh, the wandering instinct, 
and uh, re recreate themselves as rooted people, people who are rooted uh, in the land and can be uh, parts of normal lives of a modern uh, modern uh, nation state instead of uh, uh, of continuing to, you know, look for other other destinations or look for other solutions and continue uh, continuing to wander uh, to wander around the world. This was the, sort of the, the image of the uh, of the wandering Jew that was, I think, also internalized by some uh, uh, Zionists. So maybe those very strong oppression uh, expressions reflected the anxiety of the leaders of the of the state of Israel, the leaders of the Zionist movement, that they would not be able uh, uh, to uh, to convince the immigrants uh, to go through this transformation, to instill in immigrants this new uh, new identity of rooted people, uh, citizens of a modern state, rather than uh, wandering uh, Jews as they were perceived uh, as, as they were perceived by uh, by uh, by leaders of the movement, leaders uh, leaders of the state. Maybe it's, it was also just a, uh, an anxiety over the significant amount of people who moved off, out of the country, uh, people who, people who were leaving, people who wanted to leave but could not could not leave the country. Maybe the, the leaders were frightened to see uh, the tendency or the desire of so, so, so many people uh, to uh, to emigrate from Israel, and they uh, and they just adop adopted this hard uh, approach, uh, which was expressed not only in uh, practical. Uh, limitations on immigration, but also in this uh, uh, this language language that uh, uh, um, you know, again reflected uh, their uh, uh, anxiety over the threat uh, the threat of, of immigration. That's that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Why did Israeli immigration to Canada between 1948 and 1962 create discord? Yeah, this this connects to uh, um, um, a topic that we discussed earlier: uh, this tension within the Jewish community. Um, we should we should uh, we should um, talk this about this a little more in the context of sure. Canada. This uh, um, conflict between um, the uh, the the uh, idea of uh, Jewish solidarity, Jewish international solidarity, the notion that Jews should help Jews in need. It's it's a traditional. Uh, uh, um, or, uh, uh, it's part of Jewish tradition, important part of part of Jewish tradition. It was expressed in very various uh, uh, various uh, um, uh, periods in Jewish history. So, so this was one one um, one idea, and then the idea of consensus over Zionism. The consensus Zionism became a consensus uh, view in the Jewish world uh, after. In 1945, 1945, after the Second World War, um, many people who had been non-Zionist or even anti-Zionist before the war uh, became convinced that Jews would survive the war and would not be able to live uh, in uh, in uh, in countries in Europe. Uh, they became convinced of the necessity of the existence of a Jewish uh, state. So there was a strong consensus in Jewish communities around the world uh, uh, for uh, over uh, for support uh, for Israel. But immigration from Israel created a conflict between those two ideas, between the idea of Jewish solidarity and support of Zionism. Because as I already explained, um, um, assistance to immigrants was seen as, was, seemed to work against, against Israel, because it, it was a fear that assisting immigrants would encourage more uh, immigration. So we have this conflict between the humanitarian aspect uh, of, uh, of Jewish uh, solidarity and the desire 
and, and the political consideration of, of supporting Israel. When immigrants came to Canada, um, this conflict resulted in, in debates and disputes within the Jewish community. Uh, immigrants came to Canada um, from Israel asking for support from Jewish institutions, um, and those Jewish institutions, institutions had to decide what to do. Some people thought that uh, immigrants should not receive any help because they had come from Israel, and the uh, public funds uh, of the Canadian Jewish community should be invested in helping people who had not yet had an opportunity to uh, settle in, in another country. But other people um, represented uh, the, the notion of Jewish solidarity. They argued that the decision of, uh, of whether a certain migrant should receive help or not should not be based on the country of origin, but on the need, uh, on the extent of need. Uh, so there were, there were debates around this, this issue, this issue uh, in Canada. Uh, maybe uh, another dimension uh, for this debate is related to the, uh, um, the history of the, uh, or the experience of the Jewish, uh, Canadian Jewish community during the Second World War. Uh, when the uh, Canadian government um, refused to take in Jewish refugees from Europe, um, and the Canadian the Canadian Jewish community uh, tried to influence the government to change the policy, uh, which was uh, but it was unsuccessful uh, in doing that. So maybe um, there was a certain uh, sensitivity in the Canadian Jewish community uh, over issues uh, issues of immigration uh, after the terrible years of the war when the government did not allow refugees uh, to enter uh, Canada, Jewish refugees to enter Canada, despite the efforts of the Canadian Jewish community, maybe there was a, a, a greater sensitivity uh, in Canada, in, among Canadian Jews, uh, towards the issue of you know, Jewish refugees seeking uh, entry uh, uh, into, into Canada. So this is one way to understand the, uh, uh, the discord in the Canadian Jewish community. Understood. In the United States, why were Jewish communal aid organizations reluctant to help the immigrants? So, United, United Jewish organizations in the United States also believed that their role was to uh, support uh, immigration into Israel um, and not uh, out migration uh, uh, from the country. Um, they believed that their job was to uh, also to help Jews. Escape from uh, from non from non democratic uh, states, or to, to escape uh, countries in which uh, uh, Jewish life were under under threat. Um, and of course, Israel was a destination for such uh, such uh, a preferred destination for such migrants, at least from at least from from the perspective perspective sorry of Jewish organizations. Um, helping Jews moving out of Israel, move out of Israel, uh, was not part of the philosophy of those organizations uh, uh, who had been established in order to uh, to assist Jews again, uh, who were seen to suffer persecution uh, in other countries. So Israel was not a country that persecuted uh, uh, persecuted uh, uh, Jews. And here also again there was a conflict between the experiences of migrants and the uh, the uh, ideology or philosophy or attitudes of of uh, Jewish organizations. Um, helping immigration from Israel was not part of their agenda, but Jews coming out of Israel still uh, still needed needed help, uh, um, and uh, and they uh, they were trying to convince those American Jewish organizations uh, that uh, that they should help them. Um, 
but uh, but it would, they were mostly unsuccessful. Uh, the organizations uh, like like Hayas uh, and other uh, American Jewish organizations that uh, that assisted migrants uh, generally refused to assist immigration from Israel. And it is likely that uh, this policy uh, helped to prevent uh, more immigration from, from Israel. Um, there was a very large number of applicants in Israel, of people in Israel applying uh, to those organization, organizations seeking help moving out of Israel. And it is quite likely that uh, if th th those organizations would, would have been willing to assist immigra immigration from Israel, um, um, many more people, a much larger number of people would have left uh, Israel during that period. So uh, in that sense, the, the policy of American Jewish organizations refusing to assist immigration from Israel helped to curb the movement uh, out, out of the country. But again, it also uh, resulted in debates and conflict conflict within the American Jewish community between uh, those who supported this policy and those who thought that uh, Jewish organizations should help people uh, leave Israel, especially uh, family members of people who uh, of people who wanted to, to go from Israel. Um, there, there was a strong demand from uh, from American Jews who had relatives in Israel, family members in Israel who, want, who wanted to go to the United States. Uh, there was strong pressure from those families uh, uh, on Jewish organizations to assist this movement. Mm, okay. What role did organizations like HIAS and UHS play in this phenomenon? So yeah, as I explained uh, uh, in, uh, for the uh, previous question, um, by not not helping immigration right. from Israel, okay. they uh, helped to restrict the movement from from the country. Okay, those were those American Jewish organizations. As as you describe in your concluding chapter, Indian migrants to Israel went on strike in November 1951. Can you describe this episode for our listeners? Why did they go on strike, and what were the ramifications of this strike? Yeah, this is another uh, quite uh, tragic and sad, sad incident uh, within this larger story of, of immigration. Um, it is a story of a group of immigrants who came to Israel from India, Jewish immigrants uh, from India. It wasn't a very large, uh, large group. Um, they were sent to various uh, settlements, uh, various places in Israel, cities and settlements in Israel. But they, they complained about very harsh conditions, uh, about hard work that they had to do uh, in those places. And they also complained about racism uh, on the basis of their skin color uh, in Israel. And they decided that they wanted uh, to uh, go back to India, to repatriate, go, to go back to their homes uh, in India. But they, they thought that the Jewish agency uh, that had been responsible for bringing them into Israel, the Jewish agency was the uh, organization within the Israeli government that was responsible for the immigration project. So they thought that this organization should also organize their repatriation, their remigration, uh, or their return uh, to India again because they, they they were responsible for bringing them uh, to uh, to Israel, and uh, um, as the migrants believe, also for the hardships that they experienced in Israel. So they went on uh, and, and staged a sitting strike, even a hunger strike, uh, in front of the offices of the Jewish agency. Uh, in Tel Aviv, they traveled from various places around Israel, uh, gathered there, uh, and staged uh, this this uh, strike, demanding that the state would, the Jewish agency or, or the government, uh, would send them uh, uh, send them back to Israel. So this was different uh, from other stories of immigration. 
because usually uh, um, immigrants had to fund their own uh, immigration, they had to fund uh, resources uh, uh, for immigration. Now there was a demand by a group, not just one by one individual, but, but by a group that uh, the state uh, invest funds in sending them back to their, uh, to their uh, home uh, uh, country. And this uh, uh, provoked a debate, a lot of criticism against this group, and also a debate about, uh, about what the government, uh, uh, government uh, should do. Um, in the meantime, there was another, I should say that uh, the government eventually decided to send them back to India. Um, so uh, a group of around 100 people, I think, I don't remember the exact number, were actually sent by the Israeli government uh, uh, to, uh, to India. And then there was another group that in, in Israel of Indian immigrants that demanded the same, uh, the same treatment, treatment. They also demanded to be sent back, back to, uh, to India. Uh, but then in the meantime, the group that had been sent previously now demanded to go back to Israel because of the conditions, the difficulties that they, they had encountered in uh, integrating in India again. So again, they, they also staged a sit-in strike in front of the offices of the Jewish agency uh, in, uh, in uh, one of the cities uh, in India, demanding uh, uh, to go back. Um, so there was a lot of criticism and debate uh, uh, around uh, the behavior uh, of those uh, of those people, but this story is interesting, I think, because it, it sheds light uh, on several interesting uh, uh, phenomena relating to immigration from Israel uh, at the time. Um, first of all, it, it demonstrates the difficulties uh, of of immigrants in Israel. If you look at the, the particular story of immigrants uh, of immigrants from Israel, we see the the, the larger difficulties that immigrants uh, encountered uh, in the country the uh, problems of employment uh, and housing, but also the, the uh, um, I would say, alienation from the rest of, uh, of the, from the existing population, uh, as was expressed in the racism that was, uh, uh, that was uh, directed uh, towards the racist attitude that was directed towards the, those migrants from India. So, uh, so we see both the um, economic material and, uh, but also uh, social uh, problems that immigrants uh, encountered. And I think that the experience of, of immigrants from India also sheds light on the difficulty in making a decision. Um, immigrants um, settled in Israel, demanded to go back to India, but then after, after, after going back to India, they also, they again decided to, uh, to uh, go back to Israel. So it, it reflects a sense of confusion and decision and difficulties in making a decision of where to of where people should rebuild their lives, which was uh, characteristic also uh, of other uh, of other people around that period. In your con concluding chapter, you also tell the story of Hans Jonas, uh, the, the, the famous scholar who was of German Jewish background. What does his story teach us and how is it relevant? It is another, uh, it's a personal uh, story, uh, which I found uh, quite uh, quite interesting. Hans, Hans Jonas was a, a philosopher, a German-Jewish uh, philosopher. Um, um, he studied uh, the philosophy of, of religion. Um, he became a Zionist. Uh, he was a Zionist in Germany, uh, already in Germany, and he came uh, in Germany in the 1930s as a result of the rise of Nazism. And he uh, settled uh, in, in Palestine, in pre-state uh, Palestine in the 1930s. Um, he was active in Zionist circles, 
in, in Palestine, uh, also in important intellectual cir circles of Central European uh, Jews in Palestine. Um, but he also uh, volunteered uh, to, serve, to serve in uh, Zionist military uh, organizations. Um, but then, uh, after the, the creation of the state, he also participated in the, in the 1948 war. Uh, he served as a soldier in the 1948 war, but he, he could not find an academic position in Israel. Uh, he had a temporary teaching position at the Hebrew University of, Jeru of Jerusalem, but he could not, could not find a permanent position, so he uh, left the country, left Israel, uh, and uh, he found a teaching position in Canada, uh, and then a more permanent uh, position in, uh, in, the new, in the new school uh, in, uh, in New York. Um, his story is interesting, first of all, uh, because um, it's interesting to also to tell the stories of, of intellectuals. Um, some, of, some of the people who left the country were also uh, important uh, Jewish uh, intellectuals. And it's interesting to see uh, how uh, also in intellectuals, uh, the, the impact of, of those uh, conditions on, on the lives of, of academics and intellectuals, the, the opportunities that they uh, had in other, uh, in other, uh, in other uh, countries. Um, intellectuals or writers uh, maybe usually uh, or sometimes have a better way of articulating uh, their stories. Um, 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 and the various considerations that they had uh, when trying to decide whether to leave Israel or not, uh, also reflecting back uh, on their um, on their migration experience and the, their life in Israel, um, uh, they, have, they provide interesting insights on the differences between life in Israel and life in the United States or in other other countries in which in which uh, they settled. So um, this is another level of the narrative or another aspect of the story, telling the, the story from the perspective of, of intellectuals. Um, the story of Hans Jonas is also interesting uh, because he was a Zionist who left the country. Um, we usually associate immigration from, from Israel with rejection of Zionism, um, but this was not uh, uh, the case for all immigrants. Hans Jonas, for example, uh, did not leave Israel because he uh, uh, rejected Zionist ideology. He was still a Zionist when he left uh, the country, um, but he, but he, uh, he was um, uh, almost compelled to leave because of the uh, more economic, material, personal uh, personal reasons that also motivated uh, other uh, other uh, emigrants. So it's a story of one individual that provides uh, larger insights into the general uh, story uh, of immigration. We can see that the uh, that the, uh, despite the differences between the experience of intellectuals uh, and, and uh, more, I would say, ordinary uh, people, uh, we see similar uh, uh, reasons uh, for immigration. Speaking of, of um, immigration abroad, um, you also tell the story in your concluding chapter of Reuven Namdan, who won the Israeli prize. The, the, the Sapir Prize for Israeli Literature in 2014, who was an Israeli emigrant living in New York. Can you describe the controversy surrounding his receiving this award and how this contributes to the themes in your book? Yeah, so it's a, uh, an Israeli author, Israeli writer, uh, novelist, his name is Loven uh, uh, Namdal. Um, he lives in New York. Uh, and he received a prestigious, as you mentioned, prestigious, prestigious uh, uh, literary prize uh, 
in, in Israel. Uh, um, and this was a source of debate uh, in the Israeli media. Uh, some people argued that uh, an Israeli prize should not be given, should not be awarded to a person living in the, outside of Israel, even though he is an Israeli writing in Hebrew. Um, uh, there was an argument that writers in Israel struggle uh, with, struggle with, with the you know um, difficulties in making a living as writers. So uh, award, so such prizes should be given to people living and writing uh, in Israel. Uh, and then other people said that um, um, literature does not know uh, geographical or political uh, boundaries and, and borders. Uh, that uh, it was it's it's a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew writer. He's part of he's part of the uh, um, of Hebrew Israeli culture because he, he published a book in Hebrew. So he should he should receive uh, 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 the prize uh, or the award. Um, I think that the, the the importance, the significance of this debate is that well, it took place uh, about ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, so it's after much later, much after the uh, the period that I cover uh, in in my book, but it shows that those debates uh, about immigration um, did not end in the 1950s, 1960s, even the 1970s, and they continue uh, uh, to uh, to take place uh, even even today, uh, when there is much more openness in Israel uh, towards immigration, um, uh, immigrants, uh, people leave Israel are not subject to the same criticism as in the 1950s. Um, uh, of course, there is no uh, restriction on immigration as, as, I, as I described in, 19, in the 1950s. Um, again, more openness towards the, the idea that Jews would uh, live in other, in other countries, uh, would leave Israel to, to settle in other countries. But despite this change, uh, the, uh, uh, the debate surrounding this, uh, this uh, prize um, illustrates that Questions of immigration from Israel uh, are, are still um, are still hotly debated. Uh, they're, they're still considered as 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 almost existential uh, questions. Uh, the debate about whether Jews should live in Israel or should live in other in other countries. Uh, questions about the meaning of patriotism uh, for Jews and and for uh, for and for Israelis. Uh, the question of the value of Jewish life in Israel versus Jewish life uh, in the diaspora. Uh, we see that uh, in this in this case and in other cases that I mentioned mainly in the conclusion, more recent cases, that there is a sense of continuity between the earlier period period of the state, um, when Zionist ideology was much more much more robust, much more influential, uh, um, and uh, and today, uh, even despite the, the changes that Israeli society went through, we still see that the immigration debate is uh, uh, alive and kicking. How is emigration from Israel today similar or different from what you describe in your book? In the past decade, Israel has experienced tremendous economic growth. How has this changed the reasons for emigration in today's Israel relative to Israel in the early years of the state? Yeah, so this uh, nicely connects to the uh, um, previous uh, question about uh, uh, sort of bringing the discussion to, uh, to, uh, to the present. Um, one, one important difference is uh, we, uh, relates to the uh, reasons for immigration. Uh, in migration studies, scholars usually distinguish between 
They have push factor, factors and pull factors. Push factors are usually uh, difficulties, hardships that push people to move to other countries. And pull factors are uh, conditions or opportunities in, in other countries that uh, attract people uh, to leave their homes and settle in, in other destinations. So I would say generally that in, in the earlier period that, I, that is covered in the book, push factors were more important. Um, I described earlier the uh, various economic hardships and the difficult conditions in Israel that motivated uh, or pushed people uh, uh, to leave. Today, with Israel, of course, the economic condition, conditions uh, um, um, significantly improved in Israel. Israeli, Israeli economy uh, is uh, much stronger than it was in the 1950s and 19, 1960s. Um, so the pull factors are stronger. Opportunities are more important. Opportunities that Israelis see uh, in other uh, countries uh, around, around the world. Um, I would say this is the... Uh, this, this would be the main the main difference. Also, of course, there, there are more opportunities today for people than uh, opportunities that existed in the nineteen in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen fifties. And if we look also at the institutional or public side of, of the story, as I started to explain earlier, um, there is more uh, um, more flexibility, more openness in Israel uh, uh, towards the idea of Jewish immigration. Uh, despite the tensions that I, uh, that I described, despite the, the, the continuity of, of debates, um, still, um, for example, still there is more, more flexibility, more, uh, more openness. Um, one example, I mean, we can, we can see this with the use of, use of terms. We began with the question of the terms that are used to, to, uh, uh, to describe immigration, to, to talk about immigration. So uh, the, ter the term Yerida is no longer uh, popular. Uh, in Israel, uh, especially compared to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, uh, the term Yordim uh, and Yerida, which again, as I said, convey uh, those, this negative uh, negative meaning, uh, are much less popular today. Today, people use uh, more neutral terms such as Meagrim uh, or uh, migrants or immigrants, immigrants without this. Uh, uh, um, not those words that carry ideological meaning. So um, I think looking at, at the language uh, that is used in, in discussions on immigration helps us, help, us to understand also the cultural, uh, social, uh, and ideological changes. Even though I should again emphasize that uh, there is still um, uh, there are still debates about immigration. Uh, so we, so the problem, despite those changes, um, the debate has not died down completely. Uh, we see a tension here between continuity and change. Sure. In, in chapter four of your book, you describe Eliezer Weisel, the Paris correspondent for Yediota Hronot, with the following quotation. Emigration will only stop if Israel becomes a richer or more humane country, if we learn to appreciate the human being living among us, page, page 165. Can you comment on the significance of these words? And if we think about Israel today, is Israel a more humane country, more appreciative of the human being, or is it the same? Yeah. So uh, first of all, Eliezer Wiesel is actually Eli, Eli Wiesel. Eli Wiesel. OK, OK. Uh, he's, uh, he was, he, uh, so back then, he was still called Eliezer. Uh, for Eli Wiesel. OK, sorry. Uh, yes. He's the uh, uh, well-known uh, uh, author, 
uh, writer who of, of also won the uh, the uh, uh, Nobel Prize uh, is a Holocaust uh, survivor. He wrote about the Holocaust, uh, very you know well-known uh, uh, writer. Uh, was a well-known writer uh, in, in the 1950s. Uh, he was uh, a journalist. Was working as a journalist for an Israeli newspaper. He lived in Paris. Uh, he moved to, uh, to Paris after the war. He was a survivor of Auschwitz. Uh, the, uh, and, and he settled in, in, in Paris after the war, and he became a, a journalist in, uh, for one Israeli newspaper. And he was very interested in this question of, of immigration. He wrote a lot about about immigration, about uh, immigrants from Israel. Um, I mentioned earlier the propaganda campaign against immigration. So he took uh, very was very active in this in this campaign, this propaganda campaign. He traveled to uh, to the United States, to Canada, to Brazil, uh, and and sent reports about uh, immigrants from Israel, very negative reports, uh, which were of course of course meant to uh, to discourage discourage immigration immigration from Israel. Um, and the passage that you that you uh, that you read here that you quoted here is part of, of those those reports. Um, this is a more moderate, uh, I think, more moderate uh, uh, part of, of his writing, not criticizing the immigrants, but criticizing uh, Israel. Um, so it was kind of exceptional in, in his writing. Usually, he focused on uh, on on uh, um, uh, criticizing the immigrants and not not the state. Um, so the question of whether Israel is, is more humane, um, it's uh, I mean it's a difficult it's a difficult question. It's, I think that especially the conditions are are uh, much easier today, much much uh, uh, better in Israel than in the 1950s when the country was very uh, very uh, poor and did not have the resources to to deal uh, with uh, with immigration. Um, life in Israel is much easier much easier uh, uh, today. Um, the uh, when we think about the humanity of a certain of, of Israel, I think we don't we also have to bear in mind not only the way the government treats uh, its Jewish uh, citizens, but also under other people under Israeli uh, control, uh, under Israeli rule. So, if you mention the humanity of, of Israel, I think we should also uh, uh, take into, into consideration the. Uh, um, Treatment of Palestinians yes. by the Israeli government. It's uh, it, this is not the, the topic of, of my book, but you know when you talk about the humanity of Israel uh, as a state, um, we should also take this uh, into uh, into consideration. Uh, but Israel is certainly a richer country than it used to be uh, in uh, in the nineteen fifties. What can your book teach us about today's global refugee crisis, and what can the story of immigrants of emigration and remigration from Israel teach students and scholars of refugee studies specializing in other countries? So I think there are several um, several things that we can learn you know, from this uh, story about uh, broader questions of, of immigration. I think one, one specific thing is that uh, immigration, migration or immigration is not a one-way movement. Um, Usually we tend to think of, of immigration as a, I think as a you know, one-way movement of people going from one place to another and then, and then settling and staying uh, in that place. Um, my book uh, is mostly about re-migration, about people who went to a certain country and then 
I decided to continue uh, the struggle to find a home, to continue uh, emigrating. So, um, and it's also, of course, it, all, it also happened in other, you know, other uh, um, cases of, uh, of migration in, in, in history. Usually large waves of migration are followed by counter waves of people who, uh, uh, who move back to their destinations or try to settle in new destinations. Uh, but we often forget that when we talk about uh, migration. So it's important to remember that migration is not a one-way movement. It, it involves um, um, surprising move, movements or in, in, in un, unexpected, uh, unexpected uh, directions. Um, I think another uh, uh, maybe insight that you know we can take uh, from the book relates to the experience of, of migrants and refugees. I think I show in the book that refugees are not passive uh, people. And this is also, I think we also tend to think about refugees uh, as uh, passive uh, uh, people, people, people who suffer from, from policies of various, uh, uh, various values of, of states. Um, and they're sort of, uh, they play a passive role uh, in the story. We think about masses of refugees, uh, about migration waves, migration movements. But when, when we look at the experiences of individual migrants, uh, we look at the story from their perspective, we can see that they were not uh, passive, but uh, sometimes active people who acted, uh, worked to, uh, to shape their own destiny uh, through, uh, uh, through various actions. Um, uh, in the case, cases that, that I uh, discuss in the book, uh, they appealed to organizations, uh, they wrote letters, uh, they confronted various authorities. They tried to shape their destiny with their own hands. So I think this is one. one this is another important aspect of the book. Uh, that uh, even though refugees live in very uh, difficult situations, that they do not often, not always, use the ability uh, to uh, be active participants in the historical uh, uh, process. Um, I would say also that, well, since my book is about emigration, about out-migration, we should remember that this is also an important part of the story of migration. Uh, debates about immigration usually focus on the um, what happens when people arrive to a certain place, on the acceptance of, of refugees, debates, uh, disputes regarding the, uh, the arrival of refugees. But uh, my book shows that emigration was also a controversial issue. Uh, there were also debates about uh, the departure from from the country debates in the country of origin about the issue of immigration uh, so uh, in, migration is not only about immigration not only about arrival and integration but also uh, about um, the conditions the problems the debates surrounding the departure of individuals uh, from their uh, from their homes um, i would also say that for scholars um, students of migration i think it's important uh, to uh, look at various perspectives uh, when we study migration. Um, I mentioned, of course, the perspective of, perspectives of migrants, uh, but we also have the perspective of the state or, st or states of uh, NGOs, of you know, various organizations uh, working with, uh, with immigrants. Uh, popular opinion through, uh, uh, through the press, uh, reactions of society. So uh, I think when we study migration, we have to um, make an effort to uh, uh, to give expression to all those various uh, perspectives to in order to paint a more uh, complete and richer uh, picture of uh, of uh, of migration. As we bring our interview to a close, um, as a final question, what are you work 
researching now as your subsequent project, having completed this book? What are you working on at the present? What do you think about working on next? So now I'm, I'm involved in two, uh, sorry, two new uh, uh, projects. Uh, one is about non-Jewish immigration to Israel, immigration, immigration to Israel of non-Jews. So I'm continuing uh, mm -hmm. my work on, on immigration. Um, Israel is considered as a country of Jewish immigration. It's not only considered, but also uh, um, in terms of its policies, it's the country of, country of Jewish immigration. So I want to look at um, um, what, what happened uh, when non-Jews uh, tried to uh, uh, to immigrate uh, uh, to Israel. Uh, also published recently an article about um, about the experiences of intermarried families uh, of Holocaust survivors, Holocaust survivors who uh, who married uh, non-Jews after the Second World War, uh, and their attempts uh, to uh, move to other destinations to uh, settle in other in other countries. So there were debates in Jewish organizations and Jewish communities about whether uh, the Jewish community should assist uh, non-Jews uh, uh, to to immigrate, uh, non-Jews who, who, who were married uh, with Jewish uh, survivors. So this is connected to my interest in uh, non-Jewish immigration to Israel. And I'm also, uh, um, in, I'm also um, um, doing a project uh, on a completely different, uh, different uh, topic uh, about uh, um, various questions related to terrorist attacks in Israel in the 1970s, Palestinian terrorist attacks in Israel in the 1970s. Uh, I completed uh, um, an article uh, that looks at the uh, the way in which uh, terrorism in the 1970s in Israel um, was related to internal social, ethnic, ethnic and class, class conflicts uh, in uh, in Israel. So, and I'm, in Israel, and I'm hoping to develop this into a larger uh, study uh, uh, on um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the 1970s, focusing on uh, terrorist attacks uh, that Palestinian groups uh, um, carried out in Israel in the uh, in this period, the 1970s. So those are my main uh, projects uh, currently. They they sound fascinating. I would love to read them when they mm -hmm. come out. They will no doubt be as erudite and as interesting as the book you have just produced. As we bring this interview to a close, I would like to thank Professor Ori Yehudai for his generosity, attention, and time. I'd like to remind our readers of the name of the book. The title is Leaving Zion, Jewish Immigration from Palestine and Israel After World War II. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Ari Barbalat. This has been New Books in Israel Studies. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ari. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. I also want to commend uh, the people responsible for this project. It's a wonderful uh, project. So thank you very much. It was uh, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.